There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things to talk to you. First, rotoballer.com. I'm going to be doing all my season-long and daily fantasy. I found out I've been writing six days a week for daily fantasy sports for the baseball season, plus throwing in the uh, season-long goodness. And right now they're in a 50% off premium package of your choice, week, month, season, whichever you choose. But it's even better when you use promo code Bubba, you get another 10% off, so 60% off the package. You don't want to miss it out. If you like the work I've done before at other websites, you're going to love it over at Rotoballer. Great guys, great stuff, great tools. And you get 60% off altogether when you use promo code Bubba on a premium MLB package of your choice. Also, give a rating review on iTunes. to really help uh, appreciate it. It would help the podcast out quite a bit. More ratings and reviews. The higher up the ladder we go. And also, still about five spots left in Listener League 2. If you're interested in playing in a 15-team league or maybe a 12-team league, we'll see how many people we get. Come and give a rating review, and we'll slide you on in. But for now, welcome to Bench with Bubba, episode 256, talking all things starting pitching with the one, the only, Paul Sporer. Back everybody to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 256. Returning guests to the show to talk some fantasy baseball pitching, all kinds of debates, recent news, and much, much more. You can find them on Twitter at Sporer, S-P-O-R-E-R, Sleeper in the Bust, Rotographs, and much more. Paul Sporer, how are we doing, man? Doing really well. Thank you so much for having me on. How's it going? It is going well. It's a beautiful thing. I'm Pretty sure you're doing something similar to me right now where I have the uh, Tigers-Yankees game on in the background. Um, watching Garrett Cole's draft stock just drop like crazy. It's crazy Getting times, Paul. Tattooed by my Tigers. I love it. <laughs> this guy's garbage. It's just garbage. Why would you pay this, man? Um, I was actually talking to your co-host Mason yesterday, and I was telling him I love that Tigers starting four of the lineup of Maven. 
uh, Goodrum, Crone, and uh, Scope from nope. a fantasy perspective, they're like all free, and they're all going to be valuable this year. It's it's a little something, you know. The Tigers, yeah. uh, two of the worst teams in the league, the Tigers and the Marlins, made some real offensive improvements, and um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of here for it. Uh, the Tigers got the left side, or excuse me, the right side of Minnesota's infield, mm-hmm. and the uh, the Marlins got like VR. Uh, Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar. So they've turned themselves from, you know, laughing stocks into bad, but, but, but moderately capable now. And I got to be honest, I think both what more so Miami, um, they could, they could affect their divisions Mm -hmm. just by not being a rollover, easy three wins. The Tigers, the only way that would really is if a, they keep Boyd and B call up Mize and Manning in the summer, as they've discussed because then they have three capable starters and a non-horrific offense. It's still bad. Let's make no mistake about it. It's mm-hmm. still bad, but it's a non-horrific offense by bringing in Cronescope and Maven. And if Miggy has any, and then all of a sudden, you know, the Twins and Cleveland and White Sox aren't taking three wins automatically every time they face them, and they they could actually play a role in the division. Yeah, that'd be awesome to see uh, the Tigers start to get a, a build back. I know you'd be a big fan of that. And you mentioned a couple names there with Mize and Manning. And, uh, you know, there's people drafting in super deep leagues like TGFBI and others are taking gambles on these guys. You know, some people say Manning might be the better guy to have this year. You saw what Mize did today because we know how good Mize is. How would you approach those guys just for fun, say, in a draft this year? Are you even taking the chance or are you going to sit back and watch? Draft champions only. Um, I I don't mind kind of throwing a little something on them. It's kind of our – our default uh, that that we can kind of get some of those gambles that we want to do in a 50 round draft and hold, because again, they, there is an expectation that they could make it up this year. Uh, GML Avila mentioned that, you know, that by the summer they could be up. And of course you never know how things change. They could both get pummeled in AAA and uh, they're Forrest Whitley all of a sudden, but mm-hmm. if they stay on their trajectory, um, they've said Tigers have suggested that they're not going to waste their bullets in the minors and just let them linger there all year. So I wouldn't mind it there, but anything else, not really, maybe like an AL only, of course, like, um, like the labor AL auctions. I'm sure they, they went at least in the, in the reserve portion mm-hmm. of them, Mize and Manning. And I'd be fine with that, but that's about the extent of it. If it's not that 50 round draft and hold, because otherwise you're just, you're still in a spot till, I would say at least June, barring something crazy. But but even then, like even if they go down and dominate for the first six weeks of the season, I don't know that they need to be called up then because the Tigers aren't doing anything this year. So yeah, I think uh, I think it's really fifty round draft and hold, and maybe AL only. Uh, and and AL uh, labor is twelve teams with six reserves, and I'm looking at it right now, and I don't think either of them went. Oh no, the Mize went and oh, they both went. Okay, they weren't reserves; they were paid for. They went oh. for uh, Mize went for three, Manning went for two, so they were in the auction portion of it, which I'm okay with that. So AL only fifty round draft and hold. Otherwise, don't get cute. Don't try to do it in your team TGFBI or the main event because you're wasting a roster spot for too long. Yeah, I, I would treat them kind of like Zach Gallon last year, where we saw how great they were in the minors. Just wait till they get called up because, you know, we thought Gallon was going to come up earlier. It was probably a month or so after everyone thought he was coming up. The Marlins finally mm-hmm. brought him up. Similar situation. Just wait. Hope it's not Fabapalooza and cost you a million dollars, but uh, have some fun with it at that. 
Uh, let's talk some recent news here. And Chris Sale, it's every day, Paul. Like you do it on your shows, I do it here. It's a, it's a new diagnosis, a new report. Today's report was at least a glimmer of hope. Um, just a flexor strain. You had three um, doctors look at it, including the infamous Dr. Andrews. And none of them recommended surgery. Shutting them down for about 10 days. Hoping he can come back from that. We've seen a lot of guys come back from it at the same time. Still not out of the woods yet. He's dropped down to the 30th SP off the board since March 1st in online drafts at pick 86. It's a sketchy spot here because he's probably either your SP1 or if you went pocket aces or one early and another, SP2. What are you doing with Chris Sale in drafts right now? It's really tough. And and I was in on sale kind of coming into the year, uh, willing to take that chance. And now I'm, I'm firmly backing off because – you know, before like early drafts, I I did one in no October actually. Now, um, first Arizona is now in October, and we did a draft there, and I took him. Uh, I think it was like fifth or sixth round, so a nice nice little discount there. I felt, and then Justin and I took him in labor mixed, and you know we felt pretty good about it. We hadn't heard anything that was that was really negative on on his health, and we took him in the third round. Then you hear the pneumonia and, and illness stuff. Still wasn't worried. Still taking him. Now with a flexor strain. I don't want to take injured guys like this, particularly with pitchers. It, 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 all, it always varies, right? A little, a little calf strain or something like that. Something that's not necessarily going to balloon into something major for a, particularly a hitter. I'm okay. But purposely investing in something like a flexor strain, which has been known to lead to Tommy John, this just feels very Severino-ish the way it did last year where he's going to drop down into, you know, 10th, 12th round, whatever. People are going to feel like it's too good of a name to bypass at that point. I'm I'm bypassing it. I, I love Sale. I want him to be healthy. I'll let somebody else catch that windfall because at this point, it just doesn't look good. And it'd be different maybe, maybe he wasn't coming off of a, an injured season last year. But we're already kind of at the point where it was a little and go and now you're adding more to it pass yeah it's it's like scott pianowski always says why draft injuries when injuries are going to find you it's so Bingo. true especially with pitchers as you know as a guy that does deep into pitchers these guys are always getting hurt and we've seen it every day like i said we it's a new injury we talk about by somebody else every single day so like, i've always lived by the moniker people have a price sometimes prices just don't go uh, high enough let's put it that way so uh, we'll we'll pass on Chris Sale. Uh, Chris Archer going to make his spring debut later this week, but battling some neck injuries. We saw a good finish to Archer's season last year with some velocity and pitch mix changes. He's currently going around pick 246 right now. Are you buying into what you saw with Archer and any concern with the neck injury? Um, not major concern right now with the neck. Uh, they, they don't seem to be showing much concern, neither Archer nor the Pirates. So I'm okay as far as that goes as it stands at this moment on March 5th. And as far as Archer himself goes, that's not a bad price for some strikeout upside. I've, I've been a fan in the past. Obviously, last year was a disaster, uh, plain and simple. But there's a new regime there, too. Mm-hmm. That's really what's encouraging to me is that it's a new regime in Pittsburgh. It's not still the same race here type of, you know, throw two seamers, two seamers, two seamers all day. I think they're going to let Sale get, or excuse, Archer get back to what he does best, which is pump that slider, uh, throw high fastballs and hopefully regain some success. The strikeouts will be there. I don't think he's going to be nearly as bad as 19. I think at worst, you're you're drafting 2018, which was still a 431-138 ERA combo, so it's still problematic. 
but that's in that's built into the price at that point that you're getting him 240 for a reason um but i'm i'm okay on archer i i'm i'm not chasing him but i'm certainly open to taking him at that spot particularly if i need the strikeout upside yeah the strikeout upside is tremendous right there and uh i do like the change in philosophy when we get into the debates i just looked up the list we have three straight debates of three different pirates pitchers involved because they're all very very interesting going later in drafts so archer does give you that um, upside that is intriguing blake snell this is a interesting one because he was one of the top, you know, five, six, maybe seven pitchers off the board early mm-hmm. on. Now he's dropping down to as low as the 14th pitcher off the board, pick 47 over the last few days. And he had a quarter zone shot in his left elbow. He's playing catch, hoping to throw a bullpen on Friday. I don't know, Paul. We just talked about Chris Sale. Obviously, this doesn't seem as bad as Chris Sale, but do you have similar, um, you know, reserves on this situation? I, I don't share the same concerns right now. Um not yet, at least. I, I, where we're at with this, with the quarter zone shot and the potential bullpen tomorrow on Friday the 6th, uh, leaves me a little bit encouraged on Blake Snell. Definitely moving on a little bit. Uh, I don't think I'm going to plummet him. What well, You said he was going as the 14th pitcher. I had him as 6th, so I was already pretty high on him. Might move him down closer to 10 or so. Put a couple other guys a little bit ahead of him at this point, but I'm not going to, to plummet him down my rankings at this point uh, with Snell. It doesn't seem to be a major concern right now. It really does seem to be just some soreness uh, from when he had the loose body removed uh, last season. So I, I'm monitoring the situation closely. If I'm going into drafts this weekend, I'm open to taking the discount on Blake Snell. All right. A couple more pieces of news here. Mike Clevenger started throwing on flat ground about 150 feet. Might take the mound for a bullpen session early next week, week of the ninth. And that's, that's a good sign for his knee issue, not an arm problem which is always nice. He's uh, going around pick 37 right now. Paul, what are your thoughts on Clevenger? Because he still has to like ramp back up. We had the injury problems last year, but again, not an arm issue this time at least. Exactly. And that's, that's really the key there with Clevenger. Really interesting situation was the fact that his price didn't really go down. Um, I mean, it, it did a little, but certainly not commensurate with what we knew, which was that he was going, you know, he's very likely to be out at least for a couple of weeks, even if he, kind of makes this current table that he's on it's still going to be some time um that that clevenger is going to miss particularly with the season starting earlier so like a mid-april return is like th- about three weeks missed but that's not really the end of the world and we've seen him throw a 200 plus inning season before actually i think it was 200 on the dot um but we've seen him you know be the workhorse there the fact that it's not an arm injury yes he threw just 126 last year but he was so good during that time that i think he was still like a top 20 starter if not higher than that because he had a 271 era and a 106 whip and a hundred and uh excuse me 169 strikeouts which was really nice in 126 innings for clevenger so i'm i'm very open to taking him because it's not an arm injury and because things seem to be progressing pretty well i've got him at 13 right now i'd moved him down uh to that marker after slotting him i think he was seven for me so he moved down just a little bit uh, to 13, I'll keep him there and, you know, push, come to shove. We'll see where, where it's at in a draft because I don't have any drafts this weekend. So then next weekend will kind of be a telltale. We'll, we'll have more information as well after he, after he goes out and throws out, uh, uh, throws off the mound a little bit. And getting Clevenger in around three or four right now, I think seems like a pretty good deal, especially as likely your SP2 already. That's a, a, a sneaky, sneaky situation if he comes back and is totally fine. 
only misses maybe you know four or five starts, that could be pretty tremendous mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. So I, I don't mind that at all. Last piece of news here, and there'll be many more things that probably come out after we record today in the next few days. But um, AJ Puck, this one's kind of a bummer because we were all looking forward to Lazardo and Puck, you know, being these two young guns in the A's rotation. Shut down with a left shoulder injury, and that kind of scares me a bit. They're not overly concerned, just shutting him down for a week or so. But I'm not over the moon about this. He's going around pick 230 right now. Does this just pay, take Puck off your radar, or are you still kind of waiting and seeing? It, it's such a bummer. I, I, I share the excitement in Lazardo and Puck, and frankly, I had kind of moved toward Puck because Lazardo's price has gone up so much. I have to move him down, and then at that point, I'm going to kind of make the decision of like, well, you know, where where's Puck going at this point? Who who are my other options? It kind of goes back to what you said that Scott Pianowski said, which a factor I agree with. Don't don't draft injury, like especially on somebody who is completely unproven. I like Puck, but he had, we don't know anything about him. So he's already coming in as like a, a blank slate could go a lot of different ways. And now you're going to come in with an injury on top of that. It's it's going to be tough to find him on on many teams right now unless we get good news by the time I hit my, my peak draft season, which is the following weekend, not this upcoming one, um, uh, the next two after this one. So if, if we get some good news there that, hey, he's fine, he visited – uh, you know, the doctors and they said just a little bit of time off is fine. Cool. But if not, then AJ Puck will more or less uh, fall down my list to a level where I probably won't end, which is a huge bummer. But I'm again, if someone catches the windfall, good for them. There's just too much that can go wrong. And there's plenty of other pitchers who are upright and healthy right now that I can take to give me same or better uh, performances. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. It's it, I, I had the dreaded we're in a slow draft. And a couple of days ago, I take Tyler Beattie, and then he gets hurt the next day. I take AJ Puck, and then he gets hurt. It was a fun little uh, couple of days there with with the situation. But you know, Puck, they're already going to monitor his innings. Maybe he gets some time in the bullpen, or you know, they take a couple starts in the minors to get back to normal and come up. He could still be productive. It's just tough to say, like you said, let's see the clean bill of health before we jump into this. Uh, let's do some ADP debates. Like usually, when I talk pitchers with Paul, we just go through a list of pitchers and get thoughts and. I thought it'd be a little more fun since a lot of people are ramping up drafts. You say you ramp up next week. There's a, it's, it's, we're like three weeks from the season starting. Like we are there. It's a beautiful time. So I'm just going to kind of compare a couple draft uh, ADPs on NFPC online since March 1st and just kind of give our thoughts. If someone's in a draft, Paul, where would you go in this direction? And we'll start with um, a couple of young guns that come off a monster 2018 seasons. Some really think they're going to take the next step. There's others that just think it was kind of, uh, let's like say, good, but not this value good. Um, it's Jack Flaherty going around pick 20. Shane Bieber pick 23. Again, both great. If you're drafting right now, where do you go on those two? So I've been a little bit uh, of, of the negative guy on Jack Flaherty based on his current ADP, which I, I find to be quite high. And I think that's going to make me lean a little bit toward Bieber. Although, you know, they both are carrying pretty high, high ADPs. I have softened a little bit on my initial Flaherty take. Uh, basically, the research was realizing that his 18 was was pretty good. I think I was I was giving too much, uh, or not enough credit, I should say, to his 18 and boiling it down too much to, oh, people are overreacting to just one half of a season from Flaherty. And that's not fair, nor true. I've moved him up. But I think I'm still leaning Bieber here. And the real, I think the separator, it, it, it's small, right? Because we're talking about a small difference between the two. 
But I, I still think, and we saw it last year with 214 innings. I think the innings for Bieber is what really gets me. I think this guy's going to be a regular innings leader. Not that Flaherty is, is this, uh, you know, 170 type guy. He threw 196 in a third of, uh, in his own right last year. But I do think Bieber is somebody who's going to consistently be over 200. So the, the 10 to 15 extra innings could be the separator, even if ratios are a little bit better so that's where i'm at i've got bieber just a couple ranks higher at this point uh as we as we enter the season uh, yeah, i'm with you bieber would be my choice as well and a lot of it's the innings and the when the innings comes uh, accumulation of strikeouts and, and whatnot they're facing the, the you know the the white Sox are going to be better but you mentioned the tigers earlier and the royals are going to help get some w's as well for uh bieber so I, i'm going that direction i'm not as big on flaherty second half as others are i get it was good but I kind of want to see a little more there with Flaherty. So Bieber for me as well. Uh, a fun one here. You got Patrick Corbin at pick 44. Some people think, you know, you can't keep relying on the slider that much because that usage rate is insane. And then you got Blake Snell, who we just kind of talked about, going to pick 47, getting him at a discount now because of this injury. Do you take the discount on Snell or do you take the what we perceive as healthy Patrick Corbin? Boy, that one's a tough one. I think based on the, on the little dip that I gave – Snell, um, I'm, I'm going to lean toward Corbin. I'm not particularly worried about about the slider usage. I think we've kind of updated we're at with with this idea of like slider usage at at X percentage is is very problematic. I think Bob used to be a guy that people worried about with that, and he found his own ways to get hurt, but it really wasn't via pitching. It's uh, been off the field stuff. So. I'm not really worried about it. Corbin now back-to-back 200-plus inning seasons, 190 the season before that. Workhorse type uh, slots really well on that Washington Nationals team. I love what Snell does, but I still am not sure that even with health, he's back and ready, that he's going to push that 200 innings just because of the Rays. So give me give me Corbin here. Yeah, I've been a, Cor- a big proponent of Corbin. He's been like around the top 10 for me all draft season to begin with. So to see the kind of discount I believe he's getting in drafts right now and uh, just any slight injury issue with Snell just kind of leans it one direction or the other. You made a great point. Just the Rays in general will probably monitor his innings because the Rays, I think, are going to win the AL East. I thought that before the Yankees injuries. I really like the Rays team, and they're going to need Snell in the playoffs. It's just plain and simple stuff there. So why push it the whole way? So, yeah, I'll go Corbin over Snell as well. But it's, I think it's a pretty tight conversation. And the other part about Corbin I like is he's got H-type stuff, but he's the number three in that rotation, which makes him line up in some pretty nice matchups mm-hmm. as well. All right, the next group, we got another Tampa Bay Ray going against the New York Met. Noah Sendergaard, who I don't – it's been a while since he's been this low in a draft. It's like the end, he's at the end of the round four, four or five turn, going to pick 59 right now. But they got Tyler Glass now at pick 62. And if you believe in spring training radars, Glass now are throwing 99 Oof. on Wednesday. So, like, take that with what grain of salt you want. We know Glass now has been battling injuries once in a while, developing a new pitch. Syndergaard just can't finish. You know, you and Nick have talked a lot about if he could just figure out how to strike guys out more consistently, it'd be beautiful. Glass now, Syndergaard, where do you stand on these two? I can't quit Thor. I'm a, I'm a huge Thor <laughs> fan. Uh can drive me insane at times because the talent is so evident and, and robust. And yet uh, he seems to fall short of, of maximizing it uh, at least in recent years, but I'm still going to stick with Thor glass. Now with somebody 
very much pushing back against the market uh, on last year saying, hey, let's see him with this new newfound command and control. Let's see if it's really something that's there. And even though it was an injury shortened season last year, I, I said, okay, that, that was something. I, I, I put something into that. I had to see more. thought people were going way too hard over 55 and two thirds innings uh, of that improvement from when he reached Tampa Bay in 2018. Still only 60 and two thirds uh, from 2019, but you add it all up and all of a sudden he's got 116 and a third. Well, with, with more command and control than we've ever seen from Tower Glass now. And I believe in the stuff. He's really nasty. But I think he's more, um, you know, he, he's like a, a volume version of Thor. And I think uh, I, I think he can be very good, but we still have close to a full season out of Glass now. While Thor has disappointed uh, by falling short of expectations, it's not via innings. It's via execution. They have a new pitching coach in Jeremy Hefner this year. Uh, and really last year was the only time that he truly underrated with the 428 ERA. Beyond that, uh, Thor has been really good, even though like in 2018, he only had a strikeout per inning when he seems like one of those guys who can push, you know, 10, 12 strikeouts per inning or, or per nine, I should say, with as good as, as but I'm still going to stick with him. Uh, but I have moved up glass now and and acknowledged his quality, but I just have Thor a good bit higher and I have Thor sixteenth, glass now twenty-first. Yeah, we're uh once again agreeing. One of these ones we'll disagree on, but for now, with Thor, my biggest argument for him and you hit on it is it's never been an innings issue. It's just been a, you know, getting this, that, or the other. And he and the weird thing is he wasn't even beat up by the bouncy ball last year. It's like a one point one home run per nine. Mm-hmm. which was higher than normal for him. But I guess in the era of what we saw last year, wasn't great, like 18.52, uh, 16.54, and 17 doesn't even register on here. So that's interesting uh, because he only threw 30 innings. Gotcha. Um, but with Thor, it's just if he can just consistently strike out guys, like you said, kind of let guys down, let us down the last couple of years, uh, below 10 Ks per nine the last two seasons. But even a 4.26 ERA with a 3.83 XFIP last year, Shows that there's there were some uh, maybe unlucky circumstances there. I'll keep going back to him because I think one of these years we're going to get that Thor season where it just goes bananas. And getting mm-hmm. him at the end of the of round four and round five is I think a steal because I wouldn't mind him being my SP one, but he's likely an SP two on a lot of rosters, and that could be one of those make or break things that really puts you over the top. So I'm Bingo. a big big Thor fan, so I'm with you there. All right, uh, 26th and 27th pitchers off the board. This is a fun one because it's Brandon Woodruff, you know, the new flashy toy. It's like this year's Luis Castillo. Or mm-hmm. I'm not going to give him the Nick Pavetta name. That's a little rude, but we'll go to yeah, Luis Castillo. Yeah, people are throwing that, which uh, I, I challenge that one, though, because he's already done more than Nick Pavetta exactly. ever did. That, that That's where that one breaks down for me in, in terms of – it's just not factual, but but yeah, go, go ahead, Woodruff yeah. versus versus Trevor Bauer. So you got to have this veteran who's coming off a disastrous year, but now with his drive line boys in Cincinnati, you want to pick after at seventy eight. Then the flashy new toy in Woodruff. Do you take Woodruff and that you know beautiful contact and all that stuff, or do you give Bauer another chance? I do take Woodruff because Trevor Bauer has one good year. He's yep. right handed Robbie Ray with vault. So a little little bit of a qualifier (laughs) there, but uh, that's what he is. I mean, you go look at their trajectories. They both have the one standout. Again, the thing that Bauer does have and why he ranks higher than is he does have volume. He consistently pitches more innings, Ray's dealt with some injuries here and there, but 
a bunch of four somethings and ugly whips, and then boom, one amazing season. His was more recently than than Ray's in 2018 for for Bauer, but I really couldn't have gone uh, more to to what I called or what I thought last year. I'm, you know, I'm, and I certainly wasn't the only one, but I was worried he would out tinker himself uh, from success. Like he would he would tinker himself out of success, and that's exactly what he. And all of a sudden he had a 448 ERA and a 125 whip, just kind of, you know, changing things up every game the way he's, the way he likes to do. I think Bauer can be better than that. Uh, I don't think he's necessarily going to be 19, but I still need to see more before I'm really going to buy in to Bauer as a stud. I understand that uh, Brandon Woodruff only threw a one, one and two thirds last year, but he was really strong the year before uh, out of the bullpen with a few starts. He he really cuts the figure of the workhorse type. The oblique is the only thing that slowed him down last year, and I don't think Milwaukee is going to limit him in any conceivable way if he's upright and healthy. The only thing would be would be injury. Otherwise, Woodruff is going to log uh, 180 plus innings, and I think he's going to be really good. I believe, and I love a guy with a great fastball. I'm, a, I'm a for that, and so I, I totally believe in what Woodruff did last year. And frankly, his ERA at 362 was a bit higher than it should have been because he had a little bit of a rough start where where there was some bad luck this way. And I'm very careful to use luck. So I feel based on if you listen to my podcast or read my writing, you know that if I'm throwing out the L word, that there's some there's some uh, research behind it because I, I, I think people throw it out way too early. But if you go look back at Woodruff's April from last year, he was definitely catching the short end of some things. Uh, so his 362 could have been even better and i think it will be this year i've got him got him for like you know a 330 to 350 range uh with a boatload of strikeouts and a strong i'm, I'm a big brandon woodruff fan nice yeah it's, it's a fun conversation because woodruff you know the soft contacts he misses bats good strikeout stuff you mentioned the indians should go up pretty well this year he's been back-to-back years you mentioned 18 and 19 low eras everything lined up there and maybe you know didn't succeed the way he should have like you're saying so there's a lot to like there and bauer i love the way you said it because so many people don't realize it's one good season like he's fun he's goofy he does Mm -hmm. he challenges story like all that stuff's great i have no problem with that at all but when it comes to being on the field you know there's not many guys that can throw it to center field from the mound too but it's not a fantasy stat that's the only problem with that exactly but uh, uh, he's fun to watch i I, and, and there's one thing you did say to that i think he will be better this year so if you want to take a chance on Trevor Bauer, I'm cool with it. But if you're comparing Woodruff to Bauer, maybe not. How about this one just for fun real quick? Bauer or Jose Barrios going seven picks earlier? Now that one becomes really close because I've got mm-hmm. them I've got them pretty close. I do have Barrios a little bit higher, but once you get to like a, a slot or two higher, I then start to make some choices based on like team makeup and stuff. And Barrios has never really taken that that strikeout jump. Even though when you watch him at his best, you're like, "Dang, dude, you should be, you should have more strength." There's a path to it, but we haven't seen it. So I feel like if I had maybe um, a lighter strikeout guy or two in my first couple starters, I would lean toward Bauer. If I'm just looking uh, and I don't need to factor in particular stats, I'm just taking this guy. I'll take Barrios because he is higher on my list, and I think he's performed better. But those two are very close, and I, I I'm open to hearing either side on that. Um, even though I have just like a, only two slots, I think below Woodruff, you would think like, okay, well then 
when Woodruff and Bauer be that close, there's kind of a cutoff there where mm-hmm. Woodruff is kind of firmly there for me. And then Barrio starts another group. And once you're in a certain group, you kind of uh, vacillate within that group. So that's a good one there. Barrios versus Bauer. I lean Barrios unless I need specific uh, strikeout. If I have a specific strikeout need, which I would lean toward um, uh, Bauer for. Yeah, they're both very similar, like uh, stat profiles, both Indian teamers. But like I said, Bauer, the strikeout guy, Barrios probably more the uh, ratio guy there. And it's weird because, there's certain stars where you watch Barrios and he's just filthy, like the slider snapping and all kinds of good stuff. And you're thinking, okay, this is what we're going to see time and time again. And then it's back to like five to six K outings. And you're wondering, where is this guy? So um, maybe he finds it. We never know. Mm-hmm. Let's go to um, pick 103 versus pick 105. Frankie Montas back after getting suspended last year where he was amazing before the suspension. And then we get new Philly, Zach Wheeler, who another guy eats up a lot of innings. Maybe new scenery is good. Also, bad ballpark to pitch in. So, Frankie Montas, Zach Wheeler. Huge Montas guy. This is kind of a, a flag plant type of guy for me this year. I've got him ranked 20th. And uh, oh, actually, uh, with Sale going down, he'll move up to 19 now. Um, so, yeah, I've got I've got Montas 19th. Huge, huge fan. Believe in, in what he did last year. I don't think it was PED related in any in any way whatsoever. You know, he served his suspension, came back, looked just like the guy we'd seen. We only th- we only saw one start. It was a six-inning start, um, and then he couldn't participate in the playoffs, which is fine. I, I don't care about PEDs uh, in terms of, you know, wagging my finger at guys, but if you get caught, you you take your suspension and you uh, you serve it. I'm not saying they shouldn't get in any trouble. I'm just saying I don't care. Um, but you, you look at the evolution of Montas, and it's been really impressive, and he's really made that that – almost cliched transformation from thrower into pitcher and he's always had the velo and strikeouts and then he had that really weird 2018 where the strikeouts left they were gone but he's he cut his walk rate in half and his home run rate was way down but it looked like he was just throwing for control he's like i'm just gonna fill up the zone here that i really care about just maybe just to see if he could do it um and 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 throw more strikes well he did but it wasn't particularly successful because his swing and strike rate went way down. And then last year, he seemed to take what he learned from that, pair it with the uh, with the flamethrower Batman that he was in 15 and 17. And and then all of a sudden, we had a, a really good pitcher for 96 innings. Small sample, but he's 27. I don't worry about them ramping up the innings. He's out of what they call the injury nexus, where you really have to worry about, uh, about jumping his innings uh, you know, double. I think he could go double his inning count if he's healthy and and Oakland is competing and everything. They don't have any reason to hold Montas back. They should go full bore with him and let him approach 200 innings. And it shouldn't be him just because he threw 96 last year. He's 27 years old. He can handle it. He definitely can. He threw over almost 140 the year before. So taking the jump. And the thing is, we see 96 innings. People forget when you're busted for steroids. You still get like two or three weeks in the minors to rehab during your suspension. Mm-hmm. So he would, there's probably another 20 plus innings he threw in the minors, let alone everything else. So you make a yeah. great point about the year before, too, the 140. A lot of it uh, with the innings jumps isn't necessarily what you're doing from the year before, it's from, it's from your previous max. Now, if your previous max is seven years ago, that's one thing. But if it's just <laughs> yeah. the year before in 18 when he hit 140 for Montas, that, that, only further makes me confident that he can go 180, 190 without incident. Yeah, you got the projection sites going like 170 to 180. So, yeah, you can definitely 
role in the, and the A's should be in the postseason contention. So I don't mind it at all. I think Montas is a, a very, very solid choice. I'm I'm expecting his draft price to continue to rise as we hit March because there's a lot of sharp so people that are on him. Like a lot of sharp people. I can see him up there in the Noah Syndergaard conversation at some mm-hmm. point. And that'll make things a little more interesting. Like I still think Montas is awesome. You got to rank 20th overall. So you probably, you know, that'd be a fun conversation for you on, you know, your Tout Wars table or something when you have Montas versus Cindergard uh, or something. That could be fun. Uh, Zach Wheeler, I've always been a gigantic fan of. Mm-hmm. The move to Philadelphia concerns the snot out of me. That's uh, not the best ballpark in the world. He's not a massive home run guy. That's the good thing about, about him, but also not a big strikeout guy. Relies uh, on over 40, almost 45% ground ball rate the last few years to make it work. So I'm not saying it's not going to work. The defense in Philly is not bad behind him. Might be a, an increase over that bad mess defense. Might actually so, be a, a small boost there. And I, I share yeah. your interest in Wheeler. This is this is more pro Montas than it is yeah. anti Wheeler. Um, you know, really cut his walk rate the last two years. Has had two big finishes to the seasons in 18 and 19 um, to kind of, you know, he had an amazing finish to 18, which got him a lot of uh, interest going into 19. And he kind of started slowly, but then finished strong again. There are teams where I will end up with Wheeler and I will have no problem doing so. I just, I agree with you though, on the strikeout situation, it's almost like former team Syndergaard where it's like, you've got the stuff to do more. Why, why do you own, you know, I say only, but you only have a 24% strikeout rate, which is about a strikeout per inning. It's it's like right there when it feels like well, Zach Wheeler could do more with it. Hey, maybe the Phillies have a plan for him to execute a little bit differently and maximize his strikeouts while still being a ball guy who doesn't allow too many homers and, and doesn't walk anybody. And maybe they have something in store that's going to take him to the next level uh, fantasy-wise. Because I think, you know, we've seen his best ratios 331, 112 back in 2018. I think at best he's probably going to match. I don't know that he's necessarily going to be some sub three stud, but if they if they could get him up to like a 26, 27% strikeout rate, mm-hmm. even with a three and a half RA, I'm here for that. So I, I'll take Wheeler in certain situations. I'm just super in on Montas. No doubt about it. Uh, let's go to the next one here. We got Carlos Carrasco coming back from uh, last season's injuries and disease and looks to be healthy, which is outstanding just from a personal aspect of life, but we know how good he can be. And he's going to pick 110, but then you have Lance Lynn coming off an amazing season for Texas, over 200 innings pitched, over 200 strikeouts, going to pick 112, new uh, maybe pitcher-friendly ballpark in Texas, definitely more so than last year. So Carrasco versus Lynn, it's like Carrasco everybody wants to be back in on. Lynn, some are still skeptical. Where do you stand on the two? Yeah, it, it does feel like uh, there's some Lynn skepticism. And I have him in my top 30 and maybe a little bit too short. I might bump him up a couple spots. I do have Carrasco higher, so that's, that's where I'm going to lean. Um, but the more, I, the more I look at Lynn, one of the key factors, and this guy's still around, uh, could be Jeff Mathis for him. It, it, mm-hmm. I wish we could get some clarity on who Mathis is gonna, going to caddy because I think he'll caddy one pitcher specifically and then kind of make beyond that because Chirinos is the starter and he's going to play more often but if it's like um you know he Mathis is definitely going to be with Lance Lynn and then work intermittently with everybody else then I am going to bump Lynn up a little bit usually don't go too crazy on on catcher relationships because we don't know we don't have a lot of data that says that it's you know a perfect correlation Jeff Mathis we do I think we're very we can be very confident he has a major impact on pitchers. 
This dude would not be in the league if he did Exactly. Didn't. Like, he is one of the most abysmal hitters that's ever been in the league for as many plate appearances as, he, as he's gotten, and that's because he's that good behind the dish. And just to give you an idea, here with Lynn in 23 games, 146 and two-thirds, he helped him to a 350 ERA, held batter to 238, uh, batting average in that time, 177 strikeouts in those 146 and two-thirds. So Lynn pitched brilliantly with Mathis. And again, if I could get some clarity on that, I think I'd move move him up another few spots to where he Carrasco would basically be a coin flip. I am taking Carrasco right now. Uh, I think he's going to get back. You know, he beat leukemia, which is incredible. Hopefully that continues to be, uh, you know, the case. You never really know, but we're going to operate as though it's it's gone right now. It's in remission. And then I think he has like a little bit of a calf strain right now, but nothing that, or no, a little bit of a hip. But he is making his first start. So everything's good. Uh, or he made that on, um, I guess that would be Tuesday. So he made his first start on Tuesday in the Cactus League. All good with that with Carrasco. Still going to take him. I think he's really, really going to return and be the strikeout stud that we've seen. Doesn't walk anybody. And I don't put too much stop to kind of the pummeling that he had last year. When you're dealing with leukemia, you don't really give a wit about your uh, hit and home run rates. Yeah, you really don't worry about that. You know, previously 192 innings, uh, 200 innings, 146, 183. I'm not worried about Carrasco at all. Assuming he's healthy. I'm like, you're saying if he's throwing now, I'm assuming he's healthy. Like, let's Mm -hmm. just go with that assumption. And so I, I am a huge Carrasco fan. I'm loving the price tag on Carrasco, but I'm also not passing on Lynn. Like you said, it's really, really close between these two. I go Carrasco because I just think his ceiling is so much higher. We've seen it. Big-time strikeout guy. Um, I guess I'm not skeptical on Lynn, but if I have to pick between the two, the point of Lynn maybe getting hit again does sit in the back of my my brain, if that makes sense. So that leans me Carrasco over Lynn. So I'm with you. It's really, really close. And I have both of these guys higher than where they're going right now. So I'm uh, I'm very much in play on these two and hope Cookie stays healthy because that would be a – Really good, and the Indians are going to need them because uh, Joe Sheehan wrote in his recent newsletter, they're actually better than people think, which I agree with. Oh, I totally but- agree with you. I haven't read that one yet. Sorry to cut you off, but no. I-, I was just saying this in my Twitch stream the other day. Guys, don't be sleeping on Cleveland. Like, mm-hmm. they won, what, 93 games last year, and they didn't. They st- ostensibly didn't have Kluber, mm-hmm. and Carrasco didn't pitch well for them. So they were missing two studs. K- Kluber's not coming back, but they do get Carrasco back. Um, you know. I didn't love their offseason, but I did like the Cesar Hernandez pickup. I'm a huge guy on somebody we're going to talk about later. I won't spoil it. Uh, so they, ha- I think they are going to replace uh, Kluber decently with two guys who are going to get full-time roles. So, yeah, don't sleep on this team. Minnesota's – I'm them, but it's not a walk-away, holy smokes, they're going to win by 50 games type of thing. Yeah, the Cleveland almost took it from them last year with the ragtag bunch, and the, that bunch is back and better this year. So it'll be really – I love the Cesar Hernandez move. That's a – no, I mean, free in drafts, by the way. Free in drafts, people. Yeah, so, and as awful as their offseason was going, they really did get a boost. Like, that was a great move. They should have kept it mm-hmm. going. They should have done something with the outfield. I don't know why they don't have Yasiel Puig on that team, but okay, I don't know why, whatever. No, I don't know how anybody doesn't have Yasiel Puig. I don't either. Right there has <laughs> to be crazy. some sort of – agreement with what the market's willing to pay him and what he thinks he deserves i would mm-hmm. probably lean closer to what he thinks he deserves i'm a huge Puig guy um and if they're coming at him with like mill or something then i would understand why he's but bristling at that but there has to be something at this point because i i can't i can't believe that he hasn't somewhere yet 
Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, the next group, I did three this time just because they're three younger arms that people are in love with this draft season. Mm-hmm. One's a little one's a little more proven, I'd say, just the way he dominated last year, but all have goodness in their own regards. You got Danilis and Lamed at pick 115, Freed at one, Max Freed at 117, and Zach Gallon at 119. Lots of ways to go here. I've professed my love for a few of these guys on Twitter quite a bit and on the podcast. How do you go about these three? So Lamette's third for me on this yes, one. I, with, I, with I you respect there. the strikeout capability, but he's a two-pitch guy who can't get lefties. I don't really see anything changing there. And I think he's supposed to be working on a uh, on a distinct curveball this year uh, to go with the fastball and slider. Maybe that will give him something uh, for outhanders. But he, he's, he's a 27-year-old who has like 187 major league innings, a lot of strikeouts, but walk yard has a home run issue and has a platoon split what why why are people obsessed with him i don't get it so he's the easy three so then it comes down to gallon versus freed i do love gallon uh i'm, I'm in on that i'll profess to you 100 percent as i've talked about before did not know who he was coming into last year I, i'm not afraid to admit that my minor league bandwidth can be a little bit light at times because i stay so focused on the majors. and when he was first being talked about i looked up zach allen <laughs> uh, I was like, who is this Zach Allen guy everyone's talking about? I eventually did find him, and I saw he was absolutely beasting for the Marlins. But then I watched his debut, and and I was kind of hooked, if I'm being real. And I kind of kept watching him from that point and really uh, have been a fan as as he pitched with the Marlins and Diamondbacks last year. I'm in on the hiding, but Freed's my guy here in a big way. I've got him 24th on the list right now. And um, – I'm just really impressed with what he did last year. And I understand you're like, what, a, f- a four ERA and a, like a 130 whip? What are you talking about? It was really underneath. It was the cutting the walk rate down to 7% and adding that slider. And I think that slider is going to be the key to this ranking and, and, and to the breakout that I'm obviously projecting here. As he incorporates it more and it becomes more of a true third pitch um, and a big strikeout offering, I think we could see even more from Max Fried. The key here is he has to start limiting hits, and I think the slider is going to help him do that because I think his issues have been uh, partly of his own making. A, because the defense behind him is pretty solid in Atlanta, so he can't just blame that. And the fact that it's been consistently high every year, I can't just say that he's been unlucky. Um, he's a ground ball heavy guy with a 336 Babbitt last year. That needs to change. Part of that will be on him. Part of that will be things uh, working in his favor with the defense turning those ground balls into outs. I think the slider is going to be key to go with his fastball and curveball. Uh, I think we're going to see a, a jump in strikeout rate, a big cut in ERA and whip, and a huge out of Max Freed. I do love Gallon, as I mentioned. The one thing I think that's being kind of glossed over is the fact that uh, he was great, uh, unquestionably, for 90. 90- 80 innings last year but he did have an 11 percent walk rate and i think that's just being completely ignored and a 211 batting average uh, is the 211 batting average going to stick i mean that's a pretty great average like i mean that's something that uh like that's jack esque hit suppression <laughs> is he that kind of guy i'm not quite sure he does have a great arsenal and it's deep i do worry that maybe the hype's going a little bit too much on him. so i've peeled back from the major hype machine a little bit i still have him high uh, and I'm in if I can get him at a certain price, but I'm more interested in somebody like Max Fried. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not buying him as the 24th pitcher, but that's where I have him ranked. You don't, you don't just as if you don't have to, though. I'm not going to get yep. foolish with it. 
No, that's the truth. And I, I've tweeted about it. I, um, Max Freed will be one of my guys in my my guys column at the end of draft season. I said if Max Freed does not do well this year, I'm pretty much looking forward to 2021. Same. Yep. I feel about things. I'm like I'm all in on him. I have him and Gallon. I uh, rank 31st and 32nd on my list, and then I have Lamette down at 43. Like I'm just not a Lamette guy. I don't oh, see it I like just, you don't. don't it makes it. no sense to me. What he, he's got a cool slider. Congratulations. Like yeah, it's insane. But like <laughs> what people yeah. are just acting like he's gonna have this big breakout. Where where does it come from though? Like mm-hmm. what does he do to stifle lefties? I, I just uh, some late strikeouts, sure. But I gotta be honest with you, I almost have him in the. Uh, in the Chris Archer range. I mean, I have Archer ranked lower, but like that same type of deal, especially if Mm -hmm. Archer gets back to what he was before last year. Yeah. I'm with you. It's, it's a weird conundrum there, but yeah, I'm all in on freeze, a heavy sinker. If he just, that Babbitt was through the roof, like you said, if he can adjust that a little bit and I love gallon, I I really, really do. I think he's going to be great in Arizona, but they're both really close. Everybody that's listening here knows freeze my boy. So uh, we will go a hundred percent on that as well. Uh, the next one is going to be uh, intriguing to me to hear your answer here. Um, we we slide down a little bit here. We got Matthew Boyd at pick 160 overall, and then we have David Price at 159. Price might have a few fewer innings, but really good innings with the Dodgers. How do you go about these two? I'm going to go with, with Price. Um, you know, I like Matthew Boyd. Obviously, he's a Tiger. I'm a Tigers fan. Although ideally they they would trade him and uh, and get something for him that that would be great, but uh, as it stands right now, he's still a tiger and that's okay. Maybe maybe he has a good half season and they trade him for something big this this, uh, this July. But I'm still going to go with Price. You know, yes, he's getting up there in age 34, but that's that's hardly old, and he still had really, really poor skills last year. The hit rate really jumped up on a 336 Babbitt, whereas uh, you know we've been talking about Babbitt and luck and stuff like that. I do think there was some bad luck there. Again, he's anything close to that. Nothing really in his game changed to suggest that that Dave, uh, David Price deserved a 336 BABIP. His hard hit rate was a little bit, but not aggressively. Same with his line drive rate. Again, nothing that you could point to that says, oh, well, this was fully earned. So I think the BABIP will come closer to his 290 mark. So the hits will come back down, meaning the whip gets down. And with that, likely the race. So... Put him in the uh, in where he was in seventeen eighteen mid thir- mid threes ERA with a low or a high one teens whip something in the one eighteen I guess to say twenty two uh, range I'll take that all day even if it is fewer innings like you said maybe Boyd goes one ninety five two hundred for the Tigers but if Price goes one hundred seventy I think those could be better innings the thing with Boyd he started off brilliantly my big concern with him last year I was like I want I'm Boyd and Fulmer my my Tigers guys because they're actually good. My big concern, defense. And um, for the first part of the season, it's like, well, you don't have to worry about the defense if you strike out the world. And then uh, even in the second half, I guess he didn't really have to worry about the defense because they can't catch the ball in the stands. But there were certainly (laughs) games and times in that second half where those solo shots were turning into two and three run homers because of the defense. So it did eventually catch up with him. And the Tigers' defense is not, really much better this year uh to a degree that i'm gonna say oh well now i'm confident i mean they're still gonna put Kristen stewart in left field uh maybe maybe in right which should be all right um but jacoby jones in center isn't 
terrible, but the infield defense is not good. Nobody on the infield defense is, is particularly sharp. So even if he starts getting more ground balls, it just, it's, it's not great. And let's go back to the home run issue. Yes, it could come down from 1.9 because I'm sure some of that was ball related. And if we get more of a neutral ball this year, okay, cool. But he had a home run issue before this. Mm-hmm. His career is 1-7, and that wasn't all made last year. So home run issue, bad defense, bad bad surrounding team in general. I love the strikeouts from Boyd, but I got to go David Price. I think he's a more complete package and has the, the much higher upside. Yeah, I have Price Boyd as well. I think pitching, obviously, for the Dodgers is going to be huge. Uh, one thing you look at uh, Price, he's always been a strikeout guy. Gives up a few home runs, nothing like Matt Boyd. But last year at 336 Babbitt, he's usually like a 270 to 280 guy. So that's even if that drops, that's even bigger for David Price. They might monitor him a little bit, but he's still going to be just fine. Like he's had 170 innings or so of really, really good innings. And that's mm-hmm. something I've learned to to uh, embrace more of in the last few years where we're seeing not as many pitchers go deep, not as many 200 inning guys like we used to like. Um, give me the guys that give me 160, 170 quality innings. And I'll run that direction a lot more often. So Boyd's fun. He's got some dynamic stuff. He's going to have some amazing starts. But, man, an improved White Sox lineup. The Indians can still thump. The, the Twins, it's not a complete walkover in that division, let alone everybody else they might have to face in the American League. Um, I'll pass on Boyd for now. Maybe he gets traded and things look a lot better. But for now, give me David Price as well. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, we, I mentioned we have some new or uh, some Pittsburgh Pirates talk here, so let's get at it. One guy with it's all the rave, increased velocity. Joe Musgrove picked two ten, going up against Andrew Heaney at two o four. I've honestly, I've never been a Heaney guy. His injuries just scare me. It's consistent for me. Musgrove let a lot of people down last year. Paul, are we going back with the new technology in Pittsburgh, or are you like Heaney? I'm going back to the well. Uh, I was huge on Musgrove. I might have been the reason that he let some people down if they if they followed my advice on him because I was very very big on him. I will say this though, this has been uh, um, you know a cause of mine is to not give short shrift to the guys who have you know maybe uh, a challenged or ERA but a good whip, and that's Musgrove for sure because the the reverse we give too much love to the guy who has a sub four ERA but like a one thirty five whip. Uh, we act like they're inherently good because we we focus too much on the ERA, and, and then a 4.22 or 4.44 ERA with a 1.22 WHIP, we act like uh, is terrible because of the ERA. And I'm not trying to sit here and tell you that it's great. I'm saying though that it isn't completely terrible either. He was a top 55 starter last year based on that. That that fell short of expectations, but he amped his innings to 170, so he made it through the full season. He still showed flashes of of the guy that I thought he could be. Again, new regime in Pittsburgh. I'm I'm happy about that. Doesn't walk anybody. There's major strikeout upside in this arsenal. If you follow Joe Musgrove at all and you watch multiple starts, you know that he's got multiple pitches that could really click and turn him into a strikeout guy. Not saying that's definitely going to happen this year, but you're not paying for it to absolutely happen. You're buying him, and then you are getting that upside with Musgrove. I'm back in full bore. Nothing about last year has deterred me. It's a bummer that it didn't come through to the degree that I was hoping for, but I'm not deterred. Yeah, I like Musgrove a lot. Like I said, Heaney, not a big fan of the injury. Like he had a good year in 1,880 innings. Outside of that, really hasn't done much uh, longevity-wise. And I just like what Musgrove can do there in the NL Central. And if people are complaining about a four-something ERA, 
remember you're after pick 200. You're not getting these elite pitchers anymore, but you're getting the guy with upside to maybe be better than like a 4-1, 4-4 mm-hmm. ERA, who we've seen signs of that in the past. So I, I like that. And Musgrove has come out and, and talked a lot about the different culture in Pittsburgh, like you hinted at earlier. There's, there's going to be some nice improvements, I think, in that pitching staff. And Musgrove could be kind of the ringleader there with some youth below him. Uh, Archer, I guess, is up there too. But Musgrove seems to be taking a wheel on that one right now. All right, another young three-pack or kind of young three-pack. Adrian Hauser is intriguing because he's kind of a Brandon Woodruff light for me in Milwaukee. Uh, and then you have Dylan Bundy, who everyone loves going to Anaheim. It's pretty crazy not to. And then Mitch Keller. We've, uh, If you're a believer in ERA and XFIP differences, this is a big one. So how do you break down these three going at 225, 225, and 227? It's a real tough one for me because you got three guys here that I'm definitely interested in. I feel like, um, you know, I was uh, early on the Bundy train. I've, I've had trouble quitting him in Baltimore. So the fact that he got out of Baltimore, I was like, oh, well, I'm automatically in on that. Then let's go. <laughs> uh, and Keller, my boy, Nick Pollock, on to him. You know, I liked him in the Arizona uh, as a prospect. And I saw him in the Arizona Fall a couple years ago. Fell off of him, though admittedly not not really paying attention to how he was accumulating those numbers last year. And I was just like, ah, okay. kind of kind of bypassed Keller. And I thought maybe he wasn't as good of a prospect as I, as I originally thought. Then you dig under the hood and you see, okay, he didn't really deserve that. Yeah. Well, deserves a, a weird thing to say. He had five brilliant starts and five horrific starts, nothing in between. It was such a bizarre season of Mitch Keller or season in quotes, by the way, because he only had 48 innings, but it was so weird how he was either elite or terrible and nothing in between. That's we talk about small sample size and we say, don't get hung up on, you know, 48 innings or even a hundred innings because it can be so misleading when you dig in. And then Hauser, I think you uh, invoked the name of Brandon Woodruff there with him. I, I feel that as well. So I really like all three of these guys here. Where am I going? I am leaning toward Keller, but then Hauser and Bundy are pretty close behind. So the whole trio there is pretty interesting for me. But I am going to lean Keller. I think he's got the, the best arsenal of the three and the highest upside to be a monster. Obviously, he needs to work out some things. You can't just say, again, uh, my my refrain from this episode here is that you can't just say he was unlucky because the FIP says you know says he didn't deserve that era he was contributing to it but i do think that there's a clear path to ironing that out and not having those crazy blow-up starts and being much closer to 319 fip than mitch keller was to the 713 era agreed because and, and something i point to for keller's defense there is and i know you can't say well look what he did at the minors because the, the pros are different but sure. in the minors, he was so darn good and consistent. Like, he wasn't having the blow-ups. The stuff we saw, the quality of his pitch arsenal in the minors, and that can translate to the major leagues. So that's one reason I have Keller first here, too. I have Bundy, then I have Hauser. But I've been becoming more and more intrigued on Hauser the more I've dug into him this draft season. And um, he's been climbing up the draft boards. He was much, much lower uh, a few weeks back. I love Bundy. I, I was so happy to see him go. He was he was actually pretty decent in the second half last year, mm-hmm. especially outside of Camden Yards. He's actually I remember streaming him in a lot of TGFBI leagues. I talked with Toby on our show last year, and he thought I was insane for saying pick him up on the waiver wires. And I'm like, just stream him with caution, but he's just, actually yeah, better just, than you think. Just like pay, he, he wasn't hard, spots. 
Pick your yeah. spot. Um, yeah, I think people are burned by him, but you got to be careful with that. You don't want to make bad decisions based on something that happened in the past. Obviously, past information is important. I'm not saying to just ignore everything that Bundy ever did, but just getting out of uh, Baltimore alone is a benefit, let alone the, if there's evolution in his stuff. He's Even when he's been terrible, Bundy still had that elite slider, though. So if they, again, I talked about this with um, Wheeler in Philly. If the new team has any sort of plan, in addition to just the raw talent they're already dealing with, that could really pay dividends. And I know a 479 ERA seems like the worst thing ever because in fantasy, we would never want to roster that. But you're you're a stone's throw from a 450 ERA, which again, is still not something in fantasy, but that's a quality start. And it is for a reason because if you go six and three, you're never out of a game. Mm -hmm. And I know people say, oh, 450 ERA is a quality start. Yeah, it really is. And so if you're a 479 ERA, you're not that far away from really being able to tap into something. And Bundy still has a boatload of talent. He's going to be 27. I'm really excited for this season. I'm going to have him on multiple teams with, with pride and maybe a my mm-hmm. face, but I'm, I'm going to bet on this talent here. Yeah, you take a few of those Camden Yard home runs away, and he's down to four or five real quick. So <laughs> it's, it's that simple. Uh, the last debate we'll put on the table today, and there's so many more we could do, but um, this is kind of an interesting one. We mentioned Chris Archer at the beginning. He's going to pick 246. I love the upside strikeout ability here but then you have Aaron Savali at pick 250 who I rode in the second half last year when he came up super talented really good soft contact profile maybe not quite the strikeouts of Archer but there's there's something that's intriguing there how do you go about these two huge Savali guy so it's the definitely Savali here uh by by a big margin in terms of my rankings 59th versus Archer at 72 and I just really like Savali I also really like as a, as a pitching factory and what they've been able to do with the development of pitchers. And I think there's even some strikeout upside here. Now he only had a 9% swinging strike rate in the majors last year, but he was always above uh, 12% throughout his minor league career, save one stop, a double a stop where he was at 9% um, and, and still performing pretty decently even point for Savali but last year he had a 12% at double a and a 13% at triple a that's swinging strike rate so he was really missing a lot of bats brought it to the majors and wasn't really doing that mainly because he didn't need to though uh, you mentioned the soft contact profile he was keeping the ball in the yard um, he, was, he was keeping guys off the bases I loved what Savali did he's got kind of a kitchen sink arsenal where he has five real pitches uh, that he can go to doesn't overly rely on his fastball so the fact that it's not like an elite fastball, worry me. I And again, I give Cleveland some love. You know, we give certain teams love on different things. When it comes to pitchers that are developing, Cleveland is definitely one that, that um, you know, get, gets an extra from me. Shane Bieber, uh, Corey Kluber was one that they developed. Cor- Carlos Carrasco had more pedigree than either of those two, but he was looking like a flop of a pitcher, and they figured something out. Um, so I'm really excited by this. Uh, Aaron Savali is a guy I'm definitely, 25 years old even if the strikeouts don't come like i'll still draft strikeouts around him to protect for it but i do think there is the upside to be like more of a 22 to 24 percent guy than the 20 percent he was last year no he's very very intriguing so i'm with you there could be fun to see where that goes with another police act savali carrasco they have a, a really interesting arsenal there in cleveland uh, so we're done with the debates here. I, I asked for like three to five later round targets. You gave us five. So I'm really curious to get your opinion on these because I think where drafts can be made or break is we all can say, yes, go 
draft, you know, Max Scherzer and Walker Buehler and those guys. But the later round gets fun because there's kind of some murkiness involved, as we saw with some of the, the later debates we did. And your first guy is Jose Urquidy. What is it that brings you in on Urquidy? I really like Urquidy. Obviously, Houston's a little bit of a landmine. This game's kind of nervous about what, what's going to go on with them. Understandably so, but I think it's not something that's necessarily going to affect the pitchers. Obviously, they weren't the ones you know, doing that outright cheating there. Um, he was really strong last year, not just in the majors for 41 minutes. Um, with seven of it being starts and a couple relief appearances, but coming up and he's a little bit more of a fully formed prospect. He wasn't a huge prospect, kind of a deeper list prospect guy for Jose Arquiti, but uh, at age 25 coming in this year, he's missed bats like crazy throughout his minor league career while never walking guys either. So the home run rate uh, that he had 1.3, I think it's going to be a little, you know, in that one 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 to one three range because he does live in the zone but i love so much of what he's able to do i think he's got a nice arsenal with four real pitches that he can rely on including a really strong uh change up i love i'm a sucker for young guys with change ups uh especially off of a quality fastball and his fastball was pretty solid so i think he could be a, a, a really strong asset for them at the back end of their rotation he's got the lock spot right now after they lost a couple guys i mean you know they almost have to go to Arcadi, but i don't think that's going to be a problem because i think he's going to be really good i think we're looking at like a mid threes with a really good whip something below the uh 120 mark for Arcadi. yeah i like that a lot he we saw him in the postseason last year they trusted him with the rock in, in that uh, situation pitched great uh, we saw a lot of good things from Arcadi last year so i'm a fan of that i'm curious to see what josh james can do in that houston uh back into that rotation even though Jeff Zimmerman's latest mining the news article says James might not even start. So that'll mm-hmm. be exciting to see. That's kind of a bummer to see. But I'll, yeah, Urquidy, very, very strong stuff there. Uh, your second guy is Dylan Cease. And I love this one because I'm curious on your thoughts here. He, to me, for guys that play DFS, he's like a GPP draft pick. He has a yes, tremendous ceiling, tremendous ceiling. But that floor could be a walkathon. So what's your take on Cease? Absolutely. And that, that's kind of the concern is is the control or, or, or lack thereof. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to change. He's going to have to learn to live with the walk rate, though. If he can slice it down to something in the 9% range instead of the 11% that he's been in for the last couple of years, even dating back to the minors, then I think Dylan Sees has a lot of upside. He's a great bat. He's got an electric fastball, uh, has a really sharp slider, and a, and a pretty decent break uh, curveball as well. But the slider is is the pitch to go to. The changeup is even there too. It's a little bit of a show me pitch right now, but I do use even some upside with that. Maybe he kind of shelves the curve a little bit and goes fastball slider changeup. But the bottom line is there's a lot of pedigree and a lot to work with here for the 24 year old righty with the White Sox, bringing in um, Yasmani Grandal huge factor for the for this pitching staff I, I love what he's been able to do as a framer i imagine that he can impart some wisdom or at least steal some strikes for cease maybe help that walk rate just incidentally via via um uh via framing excuse me and the home run rate was was gaudy i think part of it was was due to the ball 1.9 21 homer to fly ball rate i think he can really improve that just by regression let alone the fact that he's never given up homers like that in the minors in fact he's been an amazing home run suppressor in the minors i think dylan sees he might not do the full breakout this year i might be a year early you're going to take that shot because he is relatively cheap for the potential upside that you're buying you're getting dylan sees in the 21st round of 12 teamers i gotta take that shot on the pedigree we might not get all the way there this year but i think we're going to get much better than the five nine 155 era whip combo we saw last year 
you know, when he's getting drafted around guys like Di Scafani, John Gray, even Alcantara, who I like, and some others, Cease has that ceiling that can just be so huge. We saw it in his start on Tuesday where he was filthy. Um, yeah, I, I have no problem with Dylan Cease. That's a good one. You had Aaron Savali. We just hit on him. Your next yeah. guy in the 26th round of the 12 teamers, I, um, I'm i kind of mad he's pitching so well this spring because it's just going to make his draft price go up. Yep. What do you like about Nathan Eovaldi? Nathan Eovaldi is in that uh, Dylan Bundy class of guys that I've yes. just never been able to quit. <laughs> and I, I, I didn't really plan on quitting him even before he came out pitching well this year. I was I was kind of you know one of the higher guys on him last year, so I certainly got burnt. He was not very good, at least to the draft capital. I didn't really get burned in terms of the performance, though, because you kind of were able to jump ship pretty early and it realized it was a busted season, which was a bummer. But yeah, he's out. He's firing, looking great again. I mean, his stuff is so nasty. He's still only 30. I'm not saying that that's young. I'm saying that that he's been around forever, kind of regularly burning us, by the way. He really only has one good season. It was 2018. But it is very recent that it was that season. I think he's got his arsenal where he wants. It's all going to come down to health, and we're not going to know what that health is. So we got to kind of take the shot. But that's built into the price, right? Mm -hmm. So I I don't – one thing I like to say on on my podcast and, and any spots that I do is, don't don't double count something, especially a negative. Don't say, um, oh, but, but he gets hurt a lot. That's why he's a 26th rounder. Exactly. If Eovaldi was healthy and didn't have that concern, he would be a 10th rounder or something. You know, So it, that's already there. So you don't really have to point that out, not to mention the fact that every pitcher is a health risk. If, if you're pitching, you're a health risk. I understand that Eovaldi's been bigger, a bigger health risk than others, but I just love the stuff. Um, you know, even a, a mediocre Boston team, if they're more like they were last year, 84 wins or whatever, I think they're going to be somewhere in that range, 80-something wins. So his win, ta- his win count shouldn't be super compromised if he's going out there and pitching well. They're paying him. So they're, the only thing that that matters for is that they're going to be incentivized to keep him healthy and keep him pitching and keep him starting. So I think Evaldi has a chance to put up that good season that we were expecting last year, but we don't have to pay that premium that we did last year coming off of 18. So for those of us like you and I that have loved him forever, uh, we can discount this time around. Yeah, the, like you said, they're paying him. The rotation is kind of a mess right now, so he's going to be that kind of innings eater to, to, to lead the way here. Um, he, he's always been like a big strikeout guy, had that one rough year that people are kind of in the back of their brain right now. But people forget when he was in, you know, Miami and other places, he was really, really good. And if it wasn't for, you know, maybe the injury last year, just kind of some weird, you know, conversations out there, what's to say he's not like a Chris Archer type going 100 and something picks later? Like, really, yeah. there's a lot to be said about that. I think I love Nady of all that. I'm grabbing him all over the place late in drafts. And, you know, what's the worst you do? Drop him? Like, it's pretty darn awesome to me. Um, and then this last guy, I, I, I'm curious your thoughts here because, you know, all I can do is look at his KBO stats, and they're really awesome. And we've seen Mikolas and, and Lyles and some others come over. You got Josh Lindblom here. He's picked 320, 27th round and a 12-teamer, going to Milwaukee. He's mm-hmm. locked into a rotation spot. That news already came out. So it seems like a pretty good gamble at this point. What do you see with him? You know, you mentioned that he was over in the KBO. 
people, uh, the Korean baseball organization and beasting. He won two of their equivalent Cy Youngs over there. And what he brings to the table is, you know, not blazing speed or anything. His, vo- his velocity is like 91, 93, but incredible spin. That's kind of what uh, set him off there and made him such a success in the Korean baseball organization while also developing a splitter. And I'm a sucker for splitters. I'm a huge fan of the pitch. I understand its potential volatility, uh, commanding it and everything. I know Nick Pollock, uh, when we do the fireside chats, he always talks about how he worries about, about splitters. I, I, I understand the concern, but I really do like them. And I do think that the recent success of guys coming back over, whether it is pitchers like Michaelis or even pitchers like, uh, like Eric Thames, guys coming back over, they, they go so cheap because they're such unknowns. Why not take a shot though? They, they were, they were elite in this league and isn't it somewhat akin now there are different factors here. I don't want to make I don't make it a one to one, but isn't it similar to like picking up some hot minor leaguer who went off? Like even if you don't believe that KBO is is you know super competitive, difficult league, it's at least generally speaking, I believe the Asian league, the JPL and the KBO have been comped to like AAA or AAA plus. Like mm-hmm. um, so, when they're dominating that much, same as if they were in the minors beasting, and you would want. You would want them in that case too. So the price is just right. Like it's so easy to take that shot because if it doesn't work, I just move on. But I actually think it's going to be pretty special Lindblom. I think, at, at, you know, if he's more of a four and a half ERA with the whip kind of trickling up in the 130 range, then I move on. But the chances of it being something of at least a whip asset with like a decent ERA, maybe like a 380, but but more of a one. 15 to 120 whip because he doesn't walk anybody and and can suppress some hits fastball spin and and the splitter then i'm in and yeah he's 33 but that's fine i got no i've got no problem with this he's reinvigorated the brewers have to use him because they don't have a lot of options anyway so yeah i could have three brewers starters on my in my lineups there with woodruff hauser and now Lindblom. which is crazy to think about because i agree with all three of those guys but how many times have I know I have and others have clowned on Milwaukee just not putting the starting rotation together. Right. But now they're they're like kind of doing it all of a sudden. It's it's like it's not sexy, it's not expensive, but they're making it work. It's, it's interesting. Exactly. It's very it kind of goes back to the start of the podcast where I might have a lot of Detroit Tigers hitters on my roster. It's just one of those it's fantasy baseball for a reason, folks. That's you got yeah, you gotta mine that value. Everyone knows the the studs. Once you kind of yeah. get past like 10th, 12th round, you start to take different paths and, and it can lead you to the Milwaukee F or, or to the Tigers lineup. Yep, most definitely. Uh, we got one listener question here for you, um, Paul. It's Marty at Beamer underscore cleaner, really loyal listener to the show. And he just wanted to get your thoughts on a couple guys. We hit on Archer, we hit on Keller already, so that's good. But I, I, I know he's not trolling you here, but it was funny when I saw it. He wants your thoughts on the Gardner Kyle Gibson. Of course he does. Uh, so <laughs> we've actually talked about him recently on, on a show and uh, we kept saying the wrong thing about what he had last year. We kept calling it diverticulitis. It's ulcerative colitis. So he was dealing with a gastrointestinal issue uh, last year. And obviously it was affecting him because he actually had a pretty decent start to the season and then faded down, down, down the stretch and still wound up with a 484 area, which again, I'm not going to sit here and pretend is awesome. But when you're dealing with something like that, uh, you know, your gut's exploding to, to even stay under five. I think it's kind of impressive. So I'm actually intrigued by him for the first time ever, question mark. I, I think because, you know, 
Um, part of it is I like what Texas has been doing with their pitching. We talked about Lance Lynn earlier. Mike Miner is a guy that they've, they've worked with. And it's not Jeff Mathis for everything, right? They're doing other things uh, in addition to having Jeff Mathis on in tow. And the thing that really stands out to me with Kyle Gibson is the continuing uh, evolution and improvement of his swinging strike rate. He was up to 13% last year. He left some strikeouts on the table, if you really think about it. An easy shorthand, for those that don't know, on swinging strike rate is to do two to two and a half. That's that's a, a an estimated strikeout rate. And so he had a 24% or 23% mark when even the low end of that suggests maybe a 26% strikeout rate well over a strikeout per inning um so there's there's some strikeout potential if this maintains for kyle gibson and he's really got arsenal um the fastball isn't great i'd like to see that that fastball usage continue to drop and it dropped big time last year i think that was what helped him in the first half he went from 58 to 50 percent let's get it below 50 to dive in on the secondary arsenal and i think we could see a really strong season from kyle gibson something similar to 18's era at 362 but finally with a whip that is is in the 120 or below range that would really set it off because even in that one uh, even in that 2018 season he had a 130 mark because he still walked too many guys and allowed a few too many hits so there could really be something here with kyle gibson he's not expensive for the first time ever, like I said, I'm I'm open to taking a shot. He's picked 338. He can't really hurt you at that point, uh, at least in the NFB. That's over um, – that's a shortened period, by the way. That's since February 26th in the online championships, which are 12-team leagues. Yeah, no, he's, he's another kind of free guy that's going to eat up more innings than people think, and he keeps improving. Going to Texas won't stink. I, I've always been a Gibson guy. That's why I was curious. it's good to hear that you're jumping on board now too. Uh, to get some Kyle Gibson here love out there. So I'm all about it. I love hearing it. But uh, that'll wrap us up on this one, Paul. Before we take off, let everybody know what you got going on, your Twitch stream, all that good stuff. All right. So um, you can follow me on Twitter at Spore. That's S-P-O-R-E-R, which is also the same as my Twitch, twitch.tv slash Spore. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's a video streaming platform where I play MLB The Show and we talk baseball. You don't have to be a video gamer. You don't even have to have a PlayStation to come in. Talk baseball. You can ask fantasy questions. Multiple people in there who don't give a wit about what's going on with regards to the video game and just want to talk baseball. It's a great place to talk baseball nightly. And I'm, I stream five to six weeks, uh, five to six weeks, five to six days a week, uh, usually with Wednesdays off for trivia and then maybe a weekend day off uh, to hang out with my girlfriend. So, um, and then Fangraphs, fan, fantasy.fangraphs.com. Been doing tons of work there. Three podcasts a week, three to five hours a week. Lots going on. Chats on Wednesday, so lots going on with the. Uh, this is the this is the peak time of the year. You know that as well as I do, and it's the best time of the year too. And fully, we have a great draft season that isn't uh, overshadowed by more injuries. There will be more injuries, but hopefully they're not devastating ones. Yeah, there's been quite a few, and it's been a lot to watch. But uh, Paul, as always, it's a pleasure having you on the show, and uh, thanks. We'll have to do it again sometime. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. No problem. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 256, talking all things starting pitching with Paul Sport. Catch you guys later.
Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.